DTX Equals, where thought leaders in digital therapeutics put a stake in the ground on what makes DTX DTX. With me today is Jen Goldsack, CEO of the Digital Medicine Society. Um, the Digital Medicine Society has been a driving force in educating the world about digital therapeutics and sometimes even educating the field of digital therapeutics about itself, um, most recently with the release of their Regulatory Pathways Guide, but their website is full of amazing resources and educational um, opportunities. Jen has earned degrees at Oxford, UPenn. I also went to UPenn. Woo! And uh, George Washington. And literally every time I see her speak on stage, I come up with five things I want to talk about with her. So I am really excited to have her here today. Welcome, Jen. Um, I'm excited to be here, excited for your questions and um, looking forward to a great discussion. It's um, it's been a privilege, I think, working in this space during such an important and formative time. We've got so many fantastic members of our DIME community who are blazing a trail in terms of the use of digital therapeutics. So as I said, looking forward to this conversation. Me too. All right. So question one, um, what's a formative event in your life or career that influenced your path into DTX? How'd you get here? Um, <laughs> unexpectedly, I think is the answer to that one, um, as I think it often is for those of us working in um, digital health. So uh, as you might be able to tell, I didn't grow up here. I grew up with a very different kind of healthcare system, um, one where we actually uh, feel quite strongly that healthcare is actually a right. Um, I'm trained as a chemist, so that's my research background, um, and then ended up in the US because uh, I was uh, an athlete for many years, actually ended up uh, competing at the Olympics in 2008. Um, ended up in Philly in the fall of 2008 and always thought, gosh, it'd be easy to get a job. I've got a good degree and you know, I've been to the Olympics. And anyone who remembers the state of the economy at that moment in time, uh, it was less uh, perhaps easy than I thought to, uh, to, to walk into that dream job. But actually, it all turned out very selfishly for me really, really well, Acacia. I had had the privilege of spending years waking up every day and doing hard things and trying to be the best in the world at something. And, you know, by happenstance, ended up working at Penn doing healthcare research. Um, I sort of pivoted to be able to, quite frankly, find a job. And that um, appetite I had for really, you know, doing hard things um, and pushing the needle forward coincided with this extraordinary period of change that we've just lived through in healthcare, right? So think about it. There was the passage of health reform. There was the High Tech Act that was passed in 2009. And so really, I was working in this space for um, all of the big moments of digitization. Um, and during that time, I kept on doing the sort of stare and compare, if you like, between you know, the healthcare system that I grew up with and being in Philly in particular, and, you know, I was teaching some public health classes and just thinking about how much work we had to do here in the US to improve the way we cared for folks. So, you know, I could go long story longer, but over a period of years, as increasingly digital health data is digitized, as our ability to analyze these flows of data um, became uh, more refined, more developed, our ability to capture these uh, flows of data from outside of the walls of the clinic and now treat people outside of the walls of the clinic, as all of this matured, I saw enormous possibility at each and every turn for us to harness these flows of data, these technical capabilities to fundamentally change our healthcare system the likelihood of us getting it right, um, I unfortunately uh, was less optimistic about. And that's what really led to the uh, establishment of the Digital Medicine Society, 
right? How can we bring people together? How can we give everyone the same North Star? How can we speak the same language? How can we decide together what good looks like and what we're even trying to achieve? And then how can we stand shoulder to shoulder and drive towards that? That's that's what we do at Dime. And that's really sort of, as I said, how I accidentally got into uh, digital health, digital therapeutics. But, you know, for me, it's been um, the uh, the career accident of a lifetime. That's amazing. And, you know, I, I remember, um, I, so I started going to the DTX conference series uh, probably four, four or five years. What is time uh, with the pandemic? I don't know, but, you know, four, a while ago, <laughs> it was some time ago. And I remember the first few years that we did it, it was really just everybody being confused and like, you know, like, what, what, what is a digital therapeutic and what are these things? And this sort of basic like definition and level setting things plagued us for years. Like you don't want to come back and have the same questions over and over again. Um, and one thing that I, I feel like I really noticed at this last um, DTX event was, um, much less of that. Um, and I, I, and part of that, I think it's because of um, efforts by by Dime, by the DTA to just level set on some things and just say, like, let's stop asking the same question 15 times. Why don't we just answer it? OK, it might not be the perfect answer, but here you go. One hundred percent. I noticed that change as well. I think one of the things that we really appreciate at Dime is the partnership we have with DTA and our partnership with the field, which is at the point at which we've asked ourselves the same question, not 15 times, but three times, we're wasting time. That's the point at which we just have to bang the table with our best and most evidence-based effort, accept it. doesn't have to be dogma forever, but it's good enough for today. And it allows us to make forward progress as innovators. It positions us for success. And most importantly, it presents the best pathways so that everything we're working on actually returns value to the patients that our industry exists to serve. Absolutely. So, you know, somebody in your position who, uh, you know, your job is really to be looking at everything from a high level and seeing the gaps and thinking about what gaps need to be filled. Um, in your mind, DTX equals what? Like, what's the most defining issue today? Uh, we'll talk about tomorrow later. But, um, you know, it, just at this moment, what do you think is the most critical um, issue that sort of defines DTX and where it is? So, I mean, I think, you know, DTX is part of a broader transformative moment in healthcare, the digitization of healthcare. I mean, healthcare is the last big industry that has, you know, the last bastion, if you like, where we've managed to avoid wide scale digitization, despite the fact that it offers so much promise. And so when I think about you know, what a digital therapeutic can do in and of itself. It's an extraordinary new set of tools in the toolbox, but we have to think about it within a broader landscape of change and transformation. It doesn't matter how good your digital therapeutic is if we can't actually monitor someone taking that, um, you know, uh, sort of uh, participating in that therapeutic approach without pulling them into the clinic. It doesn't matter um, how good those you know, tools and products and, and, and therapeutics are if we can't actually have people with equitable access to them. Um, these are the sorts of things we have to be thinking about. We have to be thinking about DTX in a broader tapestry of digitization. There are flows of data from monitoring tools. There's the ability to you know, connect um, clinicians and individuals who need support synchronously and asynchronously with a variety of different diagnostic information from different sources. DTX must, must not proceed 
with blinkers on. We have to think about how are we embracing all of these other areas of change and how are we making sure that the solutions that we are developing are an integral part of this transformation. And it's not happening over here in a silo of point solutions where there's going to be continued challenges to access, um, which frankly will also challenge business models. So to me, digital therapeutics is part of the digitization of healthcare. That makes sense. So like uh, kind of DTX equals silos right now, right? Like that's kind of the big challenges. It's like we're sort of, um, we're, if I'm understanding you, um, thinking about DTX and talking within DTX and thinking about how DTX is going to get funded, but ultimately DTX isn't going to get ever um, successful in a vacuum, right? Because it has to be able to hook into a healthcare system that is currently not digitized enough to hold it. Exactly. We've got to think about how does this fold into emerging workflows, right? The future of healthcare isn't going to be digital. It's going to be hybrid, right? It's going to be digitized. Um, there are always going to be times where we have to go in person to the clinic. How are we thinking about these new care pathways? How are we thinking about new ways of defining health and disease? How are we thinking about new ways of defining good evidence? What does equity mean? when there's an intersection between health equity and digital equity, right? These are all of the things where DTX has to be part of a broader conversation or it will remain siloed and left behind. And my goodness, that would be a shame because there is so much that DTX can do to improve people's lives, but it has to be part of this groundswell moment and movement of transformational change. If we are really thinking about, and it's unclear to me if we'll really get there, but there's a lot of, um, you know, I've been waiting for value-based care for 15 years in this country and, you know, we're still waiting, but, you know, there's, there's some signals that we're driving increasingly in that direction. If DTX is over here fighting for CPT codes, but it's not part of a bigger conversation around how we pay for healthcare and what high value healthcare looks like, um, we're potentially setting ourselves up for for future challenges um, and being a bit left behind. So we have to embrace um, our seat at the table in this broader conversation. So I realize this is huge, but like what what's the first step towards that? Or like, what, what, how, how does one do that? Right. Is it, is it societies like DTA and dime kind of coming, like everybody coming together under one umbrella? Um, should individual companies be advocating for these things? What's, what can people actually do to, to move towards what you're describing? Um, yes. And yes, Acacia. So I think, you know, the reason and, and both DTA and Dime are young, but think about the outsized impact our organizations have had. And I think it's because we've both taken a pretty big tent philosophy and we recognize that the digitization of healthcare is going to require citizen scientists, cybersecurity experts, engineers, physicists, product people, data scientists, clinical scientists, clinical care providers, healthcare executives, payers, regulators, investors, funders, all of these folks, you can't do it, you know, your standard sort of, you know, vertical silo group of experts, we at best are not going to realize the full promise of all of this. And at worst, we're actually going to harm people, because we're going to forget the cybersecurity piece, or we're going to worse forget the patient, Um, or we're going to have tremendous products, and no mechanism by which we can get paid. Um, in order to deliver them. So these are the these are the reasons that we need to sort of take this big tent philosophy. So one, the digitization of healthcare is a team sport and it's a full contact sport. So get involved. Um, Acacia, you're exactly right. Get involved with DTA, get involved with Dime. They're tremendous communities. They're very welcoming. We work in lockstep with one another. There's a lot of ground to cover. And I believe between the two organizations, we're doing a very good job. I think the other piece is 
what can you do within your individual organization? Um, I think it's asking important questions about not just what is my strategy and what's my pathway to success today, but what's my long-term strategy, not just product by product, but what's my portfolio strategy, not just how do I get through the regulatory gatekeeper, but how am I thinking about an integrated evidence plan that actually provides payers with the information they need, that gives prescribing clinicians the confidence to recommend or prescribe my product um, to the people that it can help the most? What are some of the harder decisions I need to make now um, in order to grease the skids and position you know, our products, our company for long-term success? I think we've got to start embracing regulatory strategy is absolutely critical to good business strategy and that we need to think about our evidence plans as being truly integrated across different markets and across different downstream decision makers, payers, regulators, prescribing clinicians, and even patients that we want to trust these tools. So I think there's the very tactical piece that you can do today at your own organization. And then I think there's almost a cultural piece, which is coming to the table and saying, it's not just about my product. It's not just about my portfolio of products. It's not just about my company. We are part of a movement to reimagine domestically a $4.1 trillion industry, globally a $10 trillion industry. You're not going to do that with your small sprint team of 30, no matter how good they are. You know, I think that's a huge one, um, you know, that I think digital, the the field of digital therapeutics has had from the beginning has agreed like it's, you know, if we're not going to like individually lobby for CBT codes, right, everybody has to do it. And like, that's true for all of these other things as well. But like, I remember at the last two DTX conferences I've been at hearing stories of, yep, we got it through FDA clearance. Um, There's maybe even some conversations about how people might pay for it, but no doctor's going to use it because it has an idiosyncratic way of being plugged in to their work streams. And unless we as an industry agree on one way to plug things in or two ways to plug things in, we're screwed, right? (laughs) So um, it kind of seems like maybe people understood, maybe companies understood that collaboration was important on law, but maybe not on everything else. And now it's becoming clear that actually without collaboration on all of those things, we are sunk. Yeah, and I'm going to use an example, and it's a technical protocol, so I don't want people to over-anchor to it, but it's a good story. So if you look at the Bluetooth Standards Association, there's something like 32,000 organizations have adopted the Bluetooth standard. And what does that mean? That means that you can get into a rental car and your you know cell phone just connects and you can do the, you know, you can have a good playlist for wherever you're driving on vacation or work. Um, and you can, you know, you can get your nav system in and you can know where you're going. You can, you know, do all sorts of smart home um, sort of um, integrations and implementations. We can pair or, you know, or not pair because mine never seemed to work. Your headphones with both your phone and your computer. You can do all of these things because we've taken a similar approach to the cement that's holding it all together. And that's what we need to think about here. What is the infrastructure here? Where do, where and do we, um, and how do we want people to access these new products? What makes it easy for all stakeholders, right? For those prescribing clinicians and for the patients that we want to be able to have access. And how can we do that? How can we do that in a way that's really trustworthy so that our regulatory colleagues feel comfortable so that, um, you know, our payer colleagues have enough oversight that they feel really good about the system that we're creating. No one's going to create those infrastructure systems in, um, as an N of one. And just as you've been saying, this is where the collaboration is so important. So I think we've hinted at maybe the answers to some of these, uh, but in your mind, what's something DTX will be able to do in the future that it cannot do today? 
my lofty goal for the digitization of healthcare, of which I think digital therapeutics are an absolutely integral part, is that we change the definition of what good healthcare is. So currently we sit in the clinic waiting for someone to show up on the doorstep, already sick, maybe very sick indeed if they don't have good access to care, um, likely facing a heavy burden, including a big financial burden. Um, and then we say good healthcare exists when we do our best job to care for that person in that moment. What I am really excited about in a future state and what I truly believe with the collaboration we've been talking about today, we can achieve is a new definition of healthcare where actually good healthcare is keeping people out of the clinic. It's keeping them off medications unless they really need them. Um, it's avoiding procedures unless they're absolutely necessary and they were truly unavoidable. Um, it's avoiding bad outcomes, right? In a future state of healthcare, we will define it by how good are we at keeping people healthy as opposed to how good are we at intervening once um, individuals are already sick. And I think that digital therapeutics, DTX, play a critically important role in that future state. But I don't think that future state is as far away as some people listening might think it is. Um, and I 100% believe that this is a not only a possible future state, but a probable future state if we keep driving in this direction. I mean, we have to, right? I mean, there are so many costs even to initial onset of a disease. Like having ever had a disease makes you more likely to have additional um, problems related to that disease. So I began my um, research career in prevention of depression for that reason, right? Don't wait till the first time a person's depressed because now they are forever more vulnerable to get depressed in the future. So um, better to prevent that in the first place. Um, but there, there are so many challenges from a, a demonstrating outcomes there because it takes a long time. Uh, to see that something's been prevented. And you need a lot of people because diseases are low incidence. So I hear what you're saying, like both it being super important and the challenges around it. Um, we, we have to find a way to get there and to feel satisfied um, that we're, we're doing that for people. Uh, this whack-a-mole thing cannot stand. It, it, it absolutely cannot. Um, and as a result of the pandemic, we've been reminded of how inequitable, like this is not new news, but we have been reminded of how inequitable our system is. We are also, I mean, we've been talking for a long time about how the cost increases and the cost burden is enormous, but we are at the point where we can't simply keep increasing costs. The hardest thing for me as a leader of an organization last year was the day that the um, quotes came in for the 2023 healthcare that we had to cover for our team. That honestly was the one thing at work that made me cry last year. Um, and it, it was awful and we've got a small team. I don't know how other employers are doing this, but it's a challenge. And for anyone who is head of household and trying to make sure that their, you know, their families, their kids, their dependents can access care. And for those employers that are trying to make sure that they can, yeah, yeah, can offer care, um, the care that they really want to, um, in their, you know, in their workplace to their teammates, um, all of these things are really important and challenging. And we're now at a point where we don't have enough cl clinicians. We have to figure out new approaches to make every unit of clinical expertise go further. Um, and, and we are going to have to rely on some of these tools in order to um, achieve all three of those goals. Too true. Too true. Well... We are out of time. Thank you so much, Jen, for joining us today. Um, listeners, thank you for listening. This has been DTX Equals, and we'll catch you next time.